So, well, you had plenty of time to find your way to Matthew chapter 7. All right. Uh, and uh, follow along with me, won't you, as, you, as we uh, start here in verse 13. And essentially, we are concluding uh, Jesus. This is what you would, is often referred to as the conclusion of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Uh, there's certainly a lot more about Jesus in the book of Matthew following this, but as far as the sermon itself, it seems that this is the conclusion. So Jesus then, he's concluding his sermon, uh, starting here in verse 13. Jesus gives this instruction. He said, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Why do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? <laughs> Likewise. Every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And so thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall. Why? Because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on sand. And the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. And so when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not, and not as their teachers of the law. We live in a world uh, that is filled with choices, don't we? Almost, at times, an overabundance of options. Yesterday, we had some family in town visiting just for the day, and Marin was getting things ready for the, for the meal and so I happened to be out running some errands, and so I got the text message of a few th items to pick up from the grocery store. One of them was potato chips. Simple enough, right? When was the last time you went to the potato chip aisle? <laughs> I stood there almost paralyzed, think to my, thinking to myself, what am I going to pick? I've got all of these choices right here in front of me. So, of course, I went with the cheapest choice, which probably isn't any surprise to the rest of you. So I had all these choices before me. Of course, on, on the other end of the spectrum, then, 
earlier in the week, I had, I had lunch with Michael Fay. We went to this restaurant. And of course, when you go to a restaurant, you expect, you anticipate that the server will bring what? Will bring a menu out to you, right? Because you want those choices, right? What am I going to do? And Michael and I are sitting there having a great conversation. And I know he's getting a little anxious because he has to get back to work on time. And, and I kind of looked at him and, and we thought, well, when, when's the menu going to come? And before we know it, a plate of food was sitting in front of both of us. <laughs> we didn't have any choice in the matter, evidently. The, the restaurant owner, he's figured out this is what people like, and so this is what you'll like today, and this is what you'll get. We had no, and honestly, it was a bit freeing. I thought to myself, I don't have to make a choice on this. Right? This is easy, and it was good. It was funny, before we got the plate of food, I sat around and I said, well, Michael, I said, when we do get the menu, it looks like I know what to order because everyone is kind of getting the same thing. This must be what this guy's known for. But we do like our choices, don't we? We like our choices. The world is certainly filled with an, almost at times an overabundance of choices. And here Jesus is. Jesus, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he's giving us this instruction. He is saying, this is what kingdom life is. Right? I mean, we have spent the last, this is our 19th week here in the Sermon on the Mount. So for the last four months or so, five months, we've, we've, been, we've been learning. This is what kingdom life is. And I think if, if you're like anything, if, if you're like me, you read this and it kind of upsets your apple cart a little bit. It, it challenges how you are living. So Jesus has laid it out for us. He says, if you want to follow me, this is what kingdom life is like. And now here's what Jesus does. Like every good preacher, Jesus being the great preacher, the preacher of all preachers, what does he do? He calls us to make a decision at the end. He calls us to make a decision. Basically, he says, okay, I've presented to you. This is, this is, what, this is what it is. Now, what's your response? He gives us the options and he says, what is your choice? Because we know that it is possible to admire. It's possible for us to admire and even at times applause, applaud Jesus' teachings here in the Sermon on the Mount. We might look at that and say, man, that is great. That gives me warm fuzzies. Yes, that's, that's a, such a wonderful idea. It's possible, possible for us to stand off in the distance and acknowledge that is such a wonderful teaching and it's possible for us to walk away without ever being changed. It's possible for us to walk away from Jesus' good sermon and never to put it into practice. And so here we find ourselves at the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in these final paragraphs. What Jesus is doing is he's giving us call to action and he's asking us this question, what will you choose? What will you choose? And he's going to give us, he's going to present the question to us with three different metaphors, three different word pictures that are going to help us to ho hopefully uh, kind of prick at our hearts to cause us to respond in this way with the, the big idea being this. And my, my plead with you is to choose Christ and his kingdom, that in your response from what we have studied from here, from the Sermon on the Mount, that we would indeed choose Christ 
That every day, that every morning when we wake up, we would choose Christ. That we would go to sleep every night with the assurance that we, that, that we have chosen to live for the Lord and to walk in His kingdom. We understand that in Scripture, it is a common practice throughout Scripture for us to be challenged with a call to action. To make a decision. You might be familiar with Joshua back in Joshua chapter 24 where he looks to the Israelites and he says, choose for yourselves this day whom you're going to serve. We also know that Elijah there in in, in 1 Kings 18, that Elijah goes to the people and he challenges them. And and I love how he, he phrases this. He says, how long will you go on limping between two different opinions? Don't you just kind of see the, the, the imagery? The two different opinions. And, and don't you ever find yourself kind of limping between those two different opinions? Elijah says, how long are you going to limp between those two opinions? He says, if the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal, and if that is your choice, then follow him. You, there, there's no middle road here for the follower of Jesus. Or even earlier there in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus instructs us. He says, no one can serve two masters. You can't serve two masters for either you'll hate the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve, Jesus said. You can't serve both me and money at the same time. And so we understand that there's the need for us to make a decision. As you've been listening to these sermons and as you've been challenged by them and the instructions in them, Jesus now is calling you to a point. It's almost as if Jesus now, through his word, is staring you right in your heart. And he is saying, what will you decide? So Jesus gives us this first metaphor, the first metaphor being that of two paths. And again, these verses for for many of us in here, these are familiar verses. These are familiar pictures So Jesus gives us this metaphor of of two paths. Look there with me at verses 13 through 14. Follow along in your copy of God's word, won't you? He says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. You see, in calling us to make a choice, Jesus highlights that there are only two paths to be considered. There's only two paths. There's, there, there's not a third way. There's not a fourth way. There's only two paths, Jesus says. And what Jesus does is he begins with the instruction here. What does Jesus say? He says to enter through the narrow gate. This is an urgent instruction. It's an immediate call for action. When it comes to making the choice of which path to take, Jesus is telling us this, stop procrastinating. He is saying, make the decision and do it now. I wonder, as you're sitting here listening to this sermon, are you still on the fence about following Jesus? Or maybe are are you the type to think that you'll get serious about, let, let me think about the high school students here, the middle school students here. Are you the type that in your heart you're thinking, there's, there's a day that when I get older or, or when I get married or, 
when I have children or, or, or whenever, that there's a day coming that, yeah, then, then I'll get serious. But right now, I just kind of want to live my own life. I just want to do it my own way. Jesus is saying, stop procrastinating. He's saying, do it now. Enter into the narrow gate. Jesus commands us to stop trying to have it both ways. To stop straddling the fence. Jesus is saying, enter today through the narrow gate. Even think about this. Maybe, you would, maybe you're one who said, okay, I've, I've, I've entered in. I, I've made that commitment. I've responded. I've surrendered my life to the Lord. But let me ask you this. What about, what about in your expression, in your conversations with other people, that as you're sharing the gospel with them, are you sharing the good news of others with an urgency? Is there an urgency in your, in your pleading with them? To make the decision today. You're not forcing the decision on them against their will, but you are reminding them that this is, this is a, a decision of, of eternal significance. On Friday, Pastor Dan had the joy of being able to go back home and perform a, a funeral service for his uncle. I mean, there's no greater opportunity to help people to see the urgency and the importance of this decision than when death is staring them back in the face. On Tuesday of this week, I'll have the joy of being able to perform a funeral service for my, my neighbor from off Linwood Way. Donna, right around the corner there from you. Ellie Brindley, Stan Brindley passed away. He was 93 years old. They called me and said, would you perform his funeral. So I'll be able to stand in before people and I'll be able to, to help them to understand the importance, the significance of that decision. And Jesus tells us, he begins with an urgency and he says, enter into the narrow gate. He begins there. He says, make this choice. But then he goes on. He doesn't just stop there. But then he's, he says, he pleads with us in entering into the narrow gate. What he does then is he says, there's two paths that can be chosen. He, he looks and he gives us the first one, the wide path. He says the, the wide path, the gate is wide and the way is broad. Jesus says it's, it's a way that is easily entered. It's what is often, it, it's probably a more attractive gate. This gate probably has flashy lights and, and bright colors. It might have fancy music or attractive music playing and wooing you to, to enter in. There's no restrictions with this gate. The only restriction is that you're not allowed to, is you're restricted from having any restrictions. <laughs> there's no need in this, in this path, since it's, since it's so broad, there's no need for moral boundaries. The only governor of the decisions is whatever your heart desires. Anything goes. All opinions, all feelings. It universally accepts all beliefs. The mantra of this path, of the wide path, is this. If it makes you happy, then that's what we'll do. So Jesus says, this wide path, it's an attractive path, isn't it? Have you ever been attracted to that path? 
Have you ever found yourself glancing over and saying, man, it looks like they're having a lot of fun? (laughs) Have you ever thought to yourself, man, why is it that that person seems, right? I'm trying to follow Jesus, and I look over to that path, and it seems like they have more money than I do, right? They have a nicer house. They go to the lake on the weekends. Like even this morning, I thought to myself, you know, if I was a non-Christian, I wouldn't have to go to church this morning, it's a nice morning. What, what fun that would be, right? To be able to sit out home and, and just enjoy the birds, right? Gee, right? The, the enemy has a way of wooing us, of, attra- of, of, of making us, of trying to convince us that that path is, is really, that's, that's the path we should be on. But Jesus then goes on and warns us. Yes, the gate is wide, the, the way is wide. But he says, look at this. Where's that path leading? To destruction. What Jesus is doing here is he's giving us a warning of his of, of coming judgment, right? In, in in each of these metaphors, there's a warning of judgment to come. Right? So Jesus says, Yeah, the path looks attractive, but he says it ends in destruction. The author of Proverbs, Proverbs 14, 12, reminds us it says, There is a way that seems right to man. But in the end, it's the way to death. Or, I appreciate how Eugene Peterson paraphrases that verse. He says, there's a way of life that looks harmless enough. Look again. It leads straight to hell, Peterson paraphrases. Sure, those people appear to be having a good time, but all the laughter will end in heartbreak. And Jesus says, there's many who walk on this path. Jesus says, this is the popular path. This is where all the cool kids are. (laughs) It's the well-traveled path. He says, it's a busy highway. Without any forethought, forethought to the destruction that's coming their way. The invitation looks good. It's a party. And if you're not on this road, then you're missing out on all of the good times. Jesus says there's the wide path. But then he says there's a narrow path. The second one is a narrow path. He says the gate is narrow here. This communicates to us the idea that that the gate is is maybe a little bit cramped. It affords very, very little room. Michael Fay has even mentioned to us how it's it's like that gate that you, you can't take all of your junk through it. You can't take your resume. You can't take your works through it. You, enter, you only enter through this gate by faith in Jesus Christ. There's no wiggle room when it comes into, to entering into the kingdom of heaven. There's only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. It's narrow because this gate does require self-denial. Jesus said, you can't follow me until you first deny yourself. Jesus said, he told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will first lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it, listen to this, listen to these words, church. Listen to these words, young person. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? and yet forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? 
we enter through the gate, the narrow gate, one by one, denying of ourselves. We don't enter in because our parents followed Jesus. We don't enter in because we hang out with, with guys or gals who love Jesus. We enter in one by one. Think of the turnstile, right, when you're going into the stadium and, and you have to pass through that little bar, right? You can't go, you, you can't, I mean, it's, it's going to be hard for you to squeeze through as a family. <laughs> they're not that thick. They're, they're not that wide. They're, they're made for one person at a time, and that's the gate, the narrow gate. And Jesus, he goes on, he says, the way is hard. Christian, don't be surprised when living for Jesus is hard. Young person, student, don't be surprised when you realize that it, it's not easy. But Jesus says that the narrow path leads to life. The life promised to us begins in this world as we enter onto this path. Life here is synonymous with, with the kingdom. It's this path that leads you to the king. The road here, this narrow road that seems to be the most confining, opens up into eternal life. You know, when we were on this trip recently, we did some hiking, and it's interesting. The best views always require the most strenuous hike. The best views always required the most strenuous hike, right? You could get a view walking on the paved road where all the people walked. But if you really wanted to get the best view, you had to take the difficult trail. And Jesus is telling us this. And then he goes on. He says, there's few on this path. You have to understand that as followers of Jesus, you're a despised minority in this world. You really are. And the fact of the matter is, is that we cannot travel the narrow path if we are concerned about what the majority of the people think about us. Those who are on the narrow path must not cater to public opinion. They must not cave in from social pressure. Instead, you need to find yourself perfectly content on this narrow path because you are content, because you are, your heart is content knowing that that is the path that Jesus invites us to. Where you wind up depends on which path you take. So Jesus, again, he's calling us to make a decision. He's saying, Here's the, here are the two options, the wide path or the narrow path. Which one are you going to take? And the sooner you make that decision, the better off you'll be. We go to the next metaphor, shall we? Two trees. All right, two trees. Verses 15 through 23, in these verses, Jesus is providing us with the metaphor of two fruit trees, which represent false and true prophets. Jesus is going to help us see in these verses that false prophets yield rotten fruit, and yet those who are true prophets or true teachers will yield good fruit. So Jesus here, in these, with this metaphor, he's warning us to beware of the false prophets. He's 
warning us to beware of those who claim to be spokesmen for God, but are nothing more than a ruse. They're a front, nothing but a facade here. So Jesus, the challenge here is, okay, he's, he's, he's saying, he begins by saying, which path are you going to walk? And now he's going to say, what, what, who, who are you going to listen to? Whose teaching are you going to, to trust? Now, we can, make, we can quickly make several important observations from these verses, all right? And, and these verses, again, they're there in verses 15 through 23, Jesus says, watch out for false prophets. So I think an early observation is that, uh, that there indeed are false prophets, that there indeed are false teachers. They exist. And we also, another observation that we can make is that those, sometimes those false teachers, those false prophets will be difficult to decipher. All right? That, that some of them are very, very good at what they do. He says they show up as wolves who are dressed in sheep's attire. And also another observation that we can make from this is that there, there is indeed, okay, by, he doesn't outright say this, but we can come to this conclusion that there indeed is a standard of truth, right? Because, I mean, if in order to have a false teacher, you have to have truth, don't you? Truth has to exist in order for someone to manipulate that truth and to be presenting it in a false or a wrong way. And so Jesus, through this, is helping us to understand that there indeed is a standard of truth and that it's possible for someone to either purposefully or even accidentally, it's possible for someone to veer from this truth in their teaching. So you can know what is right and true, Jesus says. Then another observation is that the false prophets, what does he say? He's, he says they're dangerous. <laughs> the very fact that he says these false teachers, these false prophets show up as, as wolves in sheep's clothing, right? Like, how many of you are open to the idea of petting a sheep, right? Would, would you all be willing to cuddle with a sheep? I, uh, yeah, I've got sheep. I've got some nice sheep. Some of you have come over and you've, you've pet our sheep. In fact, a couple years ago, one of those sheep my wife took a nap with or two, right? And she cuddled with it. Now, now imagine if I said, hey, who wants to come over and, and pet the wild wolves? We wouldn't want to do that, would we? Because there's a, da- I mean, there's a danger there. I've never had a sheep bite me. But from National Geographic, I've seen the pictures of what wolves can do. So Jesus is helping us to see that these false prophets, these false teachers, they're dangerous. And you want to stay away from them. And these false teachers, they're also deceptive. They're not always easy to spot. So the true nature of a false prophet cannot always be hidden. Jesus goes on, he says, yes, they show up. But Jesus kind of then switches the metaphor, or or it's kind of a a couple metaphors, right? You have the sheep and the the wolf and the sheep's clothing. But really, he's getting to this metaphor of, of a fruit tree because Jesus says, while the false teacher might be deceptive at first, that in time, they will show themselves to be false. And how is that? He says that in time, their true colors will show 
And he says, by the fruit of their lives. By the fruit of their lives. You see, you see it there, right? The, the question is, essentially, it's, he, he says, you know, does, does a grape come from a thorn bush? No. Right? You know that if you want to pick apples, what kind of tree do you go to? Drew, what kind of tree do you go to? You go to an apple tree. You are a smart young man. That's right. We get this, don't we? See, that, that, that's what, and so, so the true prophet is going to bear good fruit. So I think probably, like, what are some considerations that we should have? And, and I guess what Jesus is reminding us, Jesus wants us to understand this, that, that whose teaching we sit under, who we allow to influence our lives does indeed matter. That you should be paying attention to who is influencing your heart. It does matter. It matters not only whose sermons you sit under, and I'm not saying, believe me, there are so many other better preachers out there than I am. All right, I'm just one of, one of the few average guys who, try, who give it their best shot every week. But it does matter whose sermons you listen to. It does matter what music you listen to. It does matter what podcasts you allow to consume your ear canals. Those voices are having an influence on your heart. Pay attention to it. So a few considerations that maybe we should consider as far as whose voices we're allowing to speak into our lives. I think we should... We should consider the fruit of a, of a preacher or a teacher's life, right? What type of character does that person have? Is the fruit of their life, is it consistent with the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Or are the works of the flesh more prevalent in their lives? What about the, the fruit of their teaching? Is it consistent with the Bible? Or are you just listening to a man or a woman's opinions? Look at the fruit of their influence. What do the lives of those whom they lead and teach look like? Look around you. As followers of Jesus Christ, look around you right now, right? You see, see, is there, is there a spirit of unity? Is there, is there, there, there should be a natural byproduct from, from Bible teaching that when we sit under God's word, it should be unifying us in a spirit of unity, teaching us to live according to God's word. Right? The congregation is a reflection of what is taught from the pulpit. So that should matter. Look at the fruit of the reputation of that person, the reputation that person has with other people. Ask their neighbors, hey, what type of person is, is this individual? Right? Ask their children. What are they like when no one else is around? What are they like when they're upset at you or frustrated? What do their coworkers have to say about them? What does their employer have to say about them? And also, look at the fruit of their faithfulness. Does that person have a long track record of faithfulness? You have to understand, good fruit is only formed through faithfulness. 
over a long period of time. Good fruit is only formed through faithfulness over a long period of time. And good fruit requires consistency, cultivation, and care. So, Jesus says right here, all right, the choice, again, the first metaphor is this, which path are you going to walk? Is it the wide path or the narrow path? Who are you going to allow to influence your life? Who, who are you going to allow to speak into your life? Are they speaking what is right and true? Or are they false teachers giving you opinions based on feelings? And then the third metaphor is this, is that of two builders. Again, he's calling us to make an action, a choice. He's calling us to action. The third metaphor is that of two builders. The focus of this metaphor is whether the two builders obey or disobey God's word. Okay, the difference, I want you to hear this, because sometimes we, I think we can misunderstand this metaphor because we think, well, obviously the builder whose house stood firm built it on God's word, and the builder whose house did not stand firm because he built it on sand, he obviously didn't build it on God's word. That's not the difference in this metaphor. The difference is the builder's response. Obedience or disobedience. Let me read it again, and, and with that in mind, I think you'll pick up on it. Therefore, everyone, okay, so Jesus, he's finishing up his Sermon on the Mount, and he says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, and here it is, and puts them into practice, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because its foundation, it had its foundation on the rock. That's the wise man. But, now we're looking at the foolish man, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. You see, the test... Of the, wise, of the wise man and the test of the foolish man, the test there is obedience. J.C. Ryle said that, that, the man, that the man who hears Christian teaching and never gets beyond hearing is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. This man satisfies himself with listening and approving, but he goes no further. He flatters himself, perhaps, that all is right with, with his soul because he has feelings and convictions and, desire, and desires of a spiritual kind. And it's in hearing God's word that he rests. He never really breaks off from sin. He never casts aside the worldly ways. He never lays hold of Christ. He never really takes up the cross. All he is is a hearer, but nothing more. See, this is an important distinction for us. Because it's possible for us to sit and listen to God's word. You might be the most, like your attendance sheet, you might have check marks on every Sunday. So it's possible for you to sit and listen to, to good preaching or listen to preaching. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not. It's biblical, hopefully. Hopefully. 
We can nod our heads in agreement, right? Some of you nod, some of you even raise your hands during the worship time, right? You can do all of that. We can agree with an amen. We can listen. Maybe on your way home, you, you listen to Christian radio, right? Maybe you read Bible stories to your children. Maybe you, maybe you even are so bold to post Bible stories on your social media timeline or Bible verses, rather. You can attend every church Sunday. You can listen to the Bible sermons as you commute to work. All of that, right? You might even memorize Scripture. But notice what's the difference between the wise man and the foolish man is whether or not you obey God's Word. Is whether or not you apply it. See, in context, Jesus explains that a truly wise person is the one who puts his words into practice proving his faith to be genuine. The house that is built on the rock is the life that is lived according to Jesus' instruction. I want you to understand this, that both both of these, the wise man and the foolish man, heard the same sermon. It's almost as if Jesus, again, he's looking there at those people as they sit around, as Jesus is starting to wrap up, and maybe their bellies are starting to grumble because they're getting hungry. Maybe he's gone a little bit, been a little long-winded. They're ready to go. And so Jesus then, as he's calling, in this conclusion, he's looking at them, and he's saying, each of us, we are all going to respond in one of two ways. Because both of you, have, you've all heard the same sermon. Will you be wise or will you be foolish? Jesus is saying. Will you live in obedience? Or you just will you shrug your shoulders, maybe even say that was a good sermon preacher, but yet you'll never allow your life to be changed by God's word. It's a decision. So you think back to the metaphors now, won't you? Two paths. Maybe you are sitting here and you would say, I've never even I that's me. I, you described me. I am on the wide path. And the beautiful thing is that the door of opportunity is open to you this morning. Right? There, there's an exit ramp off of the wide path. And his name is Jesus. And he's inviting you to enter into life. Life everlasting. To get off of the path that leads to destruction, but to get onto the path that leads to eternal life. So, where are you? Which path are you on? Now, you might say, so, so I think we now then can take it to the next metaphor. Who are you allowing to influence your heart? What teachers are you listening to? Because, and really, the day... I, I didn't mention this, but the, the, you, you see here that the teaching of the false prophets then leads to confusion in the disciples. I'm sorry, I completely missed that part. Right? It leads to confusion in the disciples. Because after the false teaching, the, the fruit of their teaching, ultimately the fruit of their teaching is going to be seen in those who are, are living in response to that teaching. And, so, and there's a whole congregation, Jesus says, who says, but wait a second, we were listening to this teacher over here, and didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we do this in your name? Didn't we do miracles in your name? And Jesus is like, I never knew you. So if you're a listener, and if you're listening to bad teaching, if you're listening to false teachers... There's a dangerous end headed your direction. 
Because if there's any verse in the Bible that should keep any pastor, any believer up at night, it's these words, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoer. So who are you choosing to listen to? And then finally, how are you responding to God's word? Are you like the wise man who responds in obedience and builds his house on the rock? And when the storm of judgment came, it stood firm. Or are you like the foolish man who builds, who responds in disobedience and disregards God's word and builds his house on the sand? And when the storm of judgment comes, your house is quickly swept away. What is your choice this morning?